leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. All right, why don't we stand to our feet and make a declaration that we get into God's Word this morning. If you brought your Bibles, please hold it high up in the air and say this out with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. I want us to spend uh, two Sundays, today and next Sunday, dwelling on the subject of unity. And trying to understand the importance of unity and how we as God's people can walk together in unity. And I'm putting this in the context of the fact that God manifests His glory among a people who flow in unity. You know, we pray and we say, God, we want you to manifest your glory. We want you to do awesome things. We want you to show yourself strong on our behalf. We want you to do great things, God. We want you to want to see those things happen. And as part of that prayer that we are praying to God, we must be conscious that God's glory is, re is released in and through a people who flow together in unity. That's so important. We've talked about several things that are key factors in experiencing the glory of God. We talked about walking in holiness, uh, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We talked about walking in spiritual authority uh, and the authority God has given to us. And so we've, we've dealt with several different things. And, and this morning we want to add to that understanding saying, you know, God moves among the people who walk in unity. And unity in the church breaks down right to the little things that happen at home because unity begins with family. There has to be unity in the homes in, in where we, as, uh, because the smallest unit of, of the local church is, is the family. So there has to be unity in the family. And that translates then into unity in various ministry teams. If you look at the church and how we function, there are various teams that operate. There is the, the team of ushers, the, the, there is the, you know, the worship team and the children's church and all kinds of teams that are working together. We have to work together in specific areas. And so there has to be unity in that. There should be a sense of flowing together in that. And then as a corporate body, we also need to learn how to move in the same direction, push in the same direction, pull in the same direction, the way... Um, God wants us to go. There has to be the strong sense of unity. And then we will truly see the glory of God, the power of God being manifested in us and through us. Amen? So we're going to spend some time talking about that, about unity, its importance, how do we walk in it. And this morning, some of the factors that 
trying to break down unity. And I'm going to go through this a little, little quickly, so just uh, come along with me. In Psalm 133, verses 1 to 3, the most familiar, often quoted passage when we talk about unity. The psalmist says, you know how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said, it is it's like the precious oil, the anointing oil upon the head of Aaron, running down his beard, the beard of Aaron, running down all the way to his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded blessing, life forevermore. So the psalmist is saying, you know, it's so good when God's people dwell in unity. It's just amazing. You know, uh, once a month we have our pastors get together and meet and we talk about, you know, different things. Uh, Studying the word, fellowship, and so on. Usually, the last Thursday of the month, the last Thursday, we're all together in the office and uh, we're talking on healing and, and, and discussing the subject of divine healing. And I was, you know, the thing that I came back with was, wow, God, it's so good to have a people with one mind. I mean, we may have some questions here and there, but we all are a team of people with one mind. We're all going after the same thing. And here we were, you know, I don't know, including our Nepali pastors, our Kannada pastors, we're all sitting, talking, and discussing the subject of healing. And we're all going after one thing. We want to see God heal the sick. Amen? And, and that was what just blessed my heart, to have a people of one heart, one mind. That's when we're going to see the mighty move of God. Amen? And it starts there with, when we as leaders can go in it in that, with that oneness of heart and mind. And he says, you know, it's like the anointing that flows down Aaron's beard. It's the, the anointing of God is released among a people who dwell in unity. So when we are praying and saying, God, anoint us. We want to see the flow of your anointing even more and more. We've got to be careful because if we are asking for that, we better position ourselves together in unity. One heart, one mind. And then he says, it's like the dew of Hermon. The dew represents life and refreshing. So among a people who are in unity, there is refreshing. There is a sense of freshness. Man, it's not like, oh man, it's a stale old church. Dead, everybody. No, there's a sense of life and freshness. Because we're all flowing in unity and there. God's presence releases like the dew of Hermon. And then he also says this very interesting thing. He says, there the Lord commands the blessing. You know, isn't it nice to know that we can be in a place where we don't have to ask for the blessing? God commands it. Amen? I mean, you don't even have to pray about it. You don't even have to exercise faith for it. God just commands it for you. Well, what kind of place is that? It's a place when brethren dwell together in unity. Just dwelling in unity. God commands the blessing for you. I mean, you haven't even prayed. You haven't asked. You're not exercising faith for it. God commands it. That place, that home is blessed. I command that home to be blessed. I command that family to be blessed. I command that church to be blessed. Almighty God commanding. Why? Because he's seeing us dwell in unity. Very simple. It's the place of commanded blessing. How many of us like to be in that place? Where God commands the blessing. Take it. Take it. It's yours. We're not exercising faith. We're not doing anything except learning to dwell in unity. It's the place of anointing 
life refreshing and blessing. Amen. And we as a church must dwell in that place. The place of unity. That's the place of the commanded blessing of God. God just commands it for you. You don't have to worry about anything. Unity is also the key to world impact. If we as a people are going to impact the world, the first prerequisite is, or an important prerequisite is, that we dwell together in unity. Jesus said in John 17, his high priestly prayer, his prayer here that he prayed for the church in John 17 verses 20 to 23 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they, all, they will all be one as you father in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe. So he's saying I am praying that they will be one that the world may believe. And he prays that twice. He prays that in verse 21. And he says that again in verse 23. He says I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me. So he says, I am praying that they will be one that the world may know. I pray they will be perfect in one so that the world may know. So an important prerequisite for the world to know who Jesus is, is for the church to rise up and walk together in. The reason perhaps, a very important reason why we have not had impact on the world is because we have not learned to dwell together in unity. You've not learned to learn, be perfect in one, to flow together as a united body of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are so divided amongst ourselves, our impact on the world is almost negligible. But thank God there is a generation rising, you and me, a generation of people who will say it's important for us to walk in unity, to flow together as one, because we want the world reached for Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not about me. It's about impacting the world. And if I have to impact the world, I must learn to dwell in unity with my brothers and sisters. That they may be one so that the world will know that you have sent me is what Jesus prayed. So the key to world impact is for us to dwell together in unity. And if you look to the book of Acts, you see unity at work. And we'll come back in depth and, and look at this next Sunday. But just to run through several scriptures in the book of Acts. Where it says over and over and over again that they were with one accord. One accord. Let's say it together. One accord. It's one accord. Amen. They were in one accord over and over and over again. And you see the impact. You see what God was doing. I'll just run through it very quickly and we could, you could follow along with me and we'll do this next Sunday. In Acts 1.14, it says they were in one accord in prayer and supplication. And what happened? They positioned themselves to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.1, when the day of, day of Pentecost fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And they received the outpouring of the Spirit and a New Testament church was born. Acts 2.46, they, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And what happened? The church multiplied. Every day people were added to the Lord. Every day. So they were one accord. The anointing came. One accord, church was born. One accord, church kept growing. And I was so blessed this morning being at, at, at our APC West launch. And maybe just 25 people were there. But... We were all with one accord in worship and prayer. And I was so touched. The longest prayer was prayed by, I think, one of 10th standard. I don't know how old you are. I don't know. 
old, how old she is, but 14-year-old. Okay? Can you imagine a 14-year-old just praying long prayer and just praying exactly the same thing as some adult would be praying? Amazing. Amen? 14-year-old. I said, wow, God, a new generation's rising, huh? Adults, we better do something quick. You know, and they're praying the same thing. God, we are in this part of our city to see souls saved. We're here to see the powers of darkness move. I mean, praying the same thing that any adult would pray. So, wow, 14-year-old. We're all with one accord praying for God to move in that part of our city. And I tell you, when God finds a people like that, you'll see the acts happening again. You know, the church will just grow, multiply, things will happen. Continue on the book of Acts and Acts 4.24. It says, you know, when they were threatened, it said they raised their voice to God with one accord. And said they prayed out to God and they saw mighty signs and wonders. Acts 5.12, to the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in one porch. And again, amazing miracles. Peter's shadow healing people. Acts 8.6, Philip goes into Samaria preaches Jesus with them and they hear with one accord what Philip was preaching and that whole city was was affected. Acts 15 25 there was a there's an issue in the church this was the first council in Jerusalem they came to sort out that issue and the apostles these are many leaders in the body of Christ at that time they decided they assembled with one accord and they came to a conclusion and they sent the word out through Barnabas and Paul and and they brought order and counsel of the Lord into the body of Christ. You see, you see, the early church, such an exemplary church as they grew. I mean, there were so many things uh, uh, that was new. They were breaking new ground. And yet, they, because they were able to stay in one accord, they affected their then known worlds. Amen? We can learn from that. And we'll look at it a little bit more next Sunday. Now, what I want us to understand is that unity is an intentional effort. We must make a choice to walk in unity. Unity doesn't happen by accident. Unity is not a program we can drive in church. Unity is not some formula. It's unity is simply all of us endeavoring to maintain it and in, the, in the spirit of peace, in the bond of peace. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Paul says, you know, with whatever vocation you call, you walk in it. And, and, and he says, uh, you walk with all lowliness and gentleness and uh, patience and bearing with one another in love. And in that context, he says, you endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. And uh, one of the things that happened in Vision India, we were there, we had these five days meetings going on in Delhi. And uh, it's huge, wonderful things happening. But then behind the scenes, I, was, I could sense all these different preachers wanting to preach. Because it's a big crowd. You know, you've got about 8,500 people. Uh, and it's such an exciting thing going on. And, and, uh, and also different pastors were dropping hints to me saying, you know, if there's a slot, I'll be ready to preach. I can do this. I can do that. And I was hearing and I was fe feeling all the tension. And this is among preachers. See, preachers are not as spiritual as they appear to be when you meet them behind the stage. On the stage, they can be very spiritual. Behind the stage, it's a little different story. So since we were working behind the stage, just interacting all this, I was seeing all this tension going on. And, and uh, finally, there were two open slots. And, and the, the main person told me, that, he said, you take this slot, you do it. So I was going to do extra sessions beyond what I had origi was originally given to me. And I was seeing all this tension. And then I said, you know what? 
no, I'm just going to lay this down. doesn't matter if I don't preach. For me, I want unity amongst us preachers first. Only then we're going to impact these 8,500 plus people. Amen? So I called two preachers. I said, you preach in this session, you take this session. It's okay. Take it. It doesn't matter if I don't preach. It doesn't matter if I don't get a chance. I mean, I've already preached one session on, the, on I think, on the first or second day. And this was later on in the, in the course of the week. So it doesn't matter if I don't get to preach. It doesn't matter. There's got to be unity amongst us as leaders. Amen? What's the point? The point is this. That unity must be an intentional effort. And sometimes you have to die a thousand deaths if you want to keep unity. In its place. You've got to endeavor to keep the unity in the bond of peace. You've got to walk, learn to walk in lowliness of mind with patience. And you step down for the sake of unity. Because you value it. It's a, it comes, you value it. You hold it very highly. And so you're willing to step down. Amen? But in the end, it worked out all so good. Because uh, uh, these two preachers were there. They, they ministered as well. And... And, and, and in the end, everything was just kept together. And, and, and it had such an impact. Just doing that had such an impact on all those other leaders. To know that, you know, to be a leader is not simply standing up and preaching all the time. It had an effect. It left, left a lasting impact on those leaders. But the point I want to get across is this. That sometimes you've got to step down. You've got to intentionally sacrifice. You've got to intentionally pay a price for the sake of unity. Because it's not about you. It's about impacting the world for Jesus Christ. Amen. And the key here for us to learn to walk together in unity is portrayed for us in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Unity happens when we all walk together in humility. How does unity happen? When we all walk in humility. That means you esteem others better than yourselves. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11, Paul begins by calling for the fellowship or the unity of the spirit. He says, you know, brother, um, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship in my spirit, uh, if there's any affection, mercy, he says, you know, I fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So he's calling these believers to be united, be have one mind, one accord, you know, have the fellowship of the spirit. He says, be like this. But then he goes on to tell them, how they can have that. How can you actually be a one mind, one accord? What does he do? He points them to the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 3. He says, you know, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So here's how you're going to walk. How you're going to keep yourself in one accord or one mind. How we're going to have the fellowship of the spirit. We must learn. To walk in lowliness of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. You know, I'm so shocked that sometimes the most spiritual people have no sense of walking in unity. In fact, the more spiritual they get, the more divisive they become to the body of Christ. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. I can almost predict the downward trend that I'm seeing in a certain scene in people. Because for some reason, the more spiritual people get, the more divisive they actually become. They end up becoming divisive to the body of Christ. Because they choose not to walk in lowliness of mind. They begin to esteem themselves higher than the others. I am more spiritual than you. 
And that is one of the triggering factors to be a divisive person in the body. Are you listening? The moment you think you're more spiritual than somebody else because you pray. True, you might be praying eight hours a day. That doesn't make you more valued in the kingdom of God. True, you may know a lot more scripture. God may be speaking to you 24-7. Whatever it might be. But the, the moment you think you're better than somebody else. You're on a path to, become, to becoming a divisive person in the body of Christ. Because the key to unity is this. He says, let nothing be done out of selfish, but with lowliness of mind, you esteem others better than your. That's the key. If you want to be a person who will walk in unity. And that's why sometimes very spiritual people are harmful for the body of Christ. Because they disturb the unity. We lose the blessing of God. You should... Pastor, I thought you want us all to be very spiritual. <laughs> yeah, but in the right way. You need to know how to walk with lowliness of mind. Be deeply rooted in God. Be deeply spiritual. But you've got to know there are greater things. There are things that are more important than your personal spirituality. That is learning to walk in humility. That is learning to esteem others better than yourselves. So that we can keep fellowship of the Spirit. So we can be of one accord and one mind. Are you with me? I'm not discouraging you from pressing into God. What I'm saying is, as you do, don't forget the other things God has taught us. Amen? So he says, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to esteem other people better than yourselves. And then he says, points to Jesus. He says, the way you do it is by looking at Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Christ, though he was God, he didn't consider it robbery, something to be hold, held on to. But he emptied himself, he humbled himself, he became a servant, and he, he, he died on the cross. He says, look at that model, that though he was a son, he became a servant. Look at that model. That's how we are going to walk together in unity. And all of us are willing to follow the example of Jesus. That though you are in a position, whatever position God may have given you in the body, you live your life as a servant to the rest of the body. Amen? What are our positions? If we live, we follow the example of Jesus. Though he was God, he became a servant. So he says, look, this is how we're going to be able to walk with one accord, one mind. When we all esteem others better than, some, than ourselves, when we do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, don't do it just to promote yourself. What's the agenda here? It's to glorify Jesus Christ. That's it. Amen? Now let me just quickly touch upon, let me just quickly touch upon some causes for breakdown and what's the solution here. And I'll just quickly run through these three things that we see in the context of the church in the New Testament. You know, the first one is position, a, a desire for position. You have this incident here in Matthew 20, verses 22 to 28. Many of you know this. When uh, Jesus is talking about his death and, you know, he's going to be crucified and so on. And here comes the mother of James and John. And she says, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can you make sure that James and John sit on your right and your left hand? She's not interested in anything else that Jesus is saying. She just wants the position, the place for her two sons. And as a result, it almost splits the whole group because the rest of them hear it. And they are so angry with James and John and the mother. It's like, 
man, what is going on here? And uh, you read about it in both the accounts in Matthew 20 and verses 20 to 28 and also in Mark 9, 33, uh, 37 to 37. This, this almost broke the group. And over there, Jesus uses that moment to teach them that in the kingdom of God, whoever wants to be first must learn to be a servant. Whoever wants to be first, learn to be a servant. So it's not your position. But a desire for position, a desire for prominence, a desire for recognition often is a cause for breakdown of unity in the church, in the body of Christ. Or in a team. And if you're working in a team. Or anything. anything, Somebody wants to be recognized. Wants to be in that position. But if we all learn to walk as servants. We'll be able to flow together in unity. Now that's how all these teams function in church. Because everybody's learning to be a servant. Nobody's stressed. I want to be the team leader. I want to be the next you know, person in charge. Nobody's doing that. We're learning to walk as servants. And when we walk as servants, we can keep the unity of the spirit. We can be of one mind, one accord. Because nobody is desiring to be there. You look at that position more as a sense of responsibility rather than a place of prominence or preeminence. Amen? And in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37, in fact, Jesus, at, you know, at that point, you know what he does? He takes one of his little children and he says, you know, whoever will receive this little child in my name receives me. And whoever will bless, gives this little child, even this little child, something in my name. They honor me. So even in the kingdom of God, the least amongst us is to be highly honored because of who we represent. Amen? You honor the least person. Why? Because they represent Jesus. And in doing so, you're actually honoring Jesus himself. Your honor lies not in what you represent, but who you represent. It's not that position. It's a fact that you're representing Jesus Christ. Another interesting example in the New Testament uh, that brought about division. And this is interesting. This was happened right among the two top leaders in the church at that time. It was Barnabas and Paul. In Acts the 15th chapter, there was a division. There was a strife. There was a breakdown of unity among, between them in Acts 15, 35 to 41. And it was stubbornness with these both bullheaded leaders that brought about this division. What happened was, you know, Barnabas had his relative named John Mark. And John uh, Mark, he, John, he lived with his mother in Jerusalem. They probably were wealthy. They had a big house. And uh, the prayer meeting uh, in Acts, the 12th chapter, when Peter was put in prison, took place in John Mark's house and all of that. So, when Paul and Barnabas set out on their first missionary journey, Barnabas said, I'll take John Mark, my cousin with, I don't know, this cousin or nephew, I'll take him with me. So John Mark came along with Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey, but, you know, he was used to a comfortable bed, bed coffee, this, that, whatever, you know. And so he could just handle maybe the first travel and then he quit. He decided to go back home to Jerusalem. Now, Paul never forgot that. So after Paul and Barnabas finished this first, their first missionary journey, they came back to the church. They gave out an account. All that wonderful things happened. And Paul and Barnabas said, let's go on our second missionary journey. And Barnabas said, I want John to come with us. Paul said, John? That same guy who couldn't, you know, take beyond the first, first leg of the journey, he can't come with us. And uh, now, I don't know who was right. Maybe Paul was right. Maybe the second journey was going to be too intense, too hard for 
uh, John to handle, and maybe it wasn't wise to take him along. Or maybe Barnabas was right. Maybe Barnabas said, look, let's give him a second chance. Maybe he's been going to the gym the last two years. He's toughened himself up a bit. You know, let's give him a chance. I don't know who was right. But I know what went wrong. What the Bible says is that these two leaders, now these were the main leaders in the church at Antioch, Paul and Barnabas. They were so stubborn in their own decisions. Paul said, no, he must not go. And John, Barnabas said, yes, I want him to come. That they actually split and went their separate ways. They actually split and went this way. So Paul went along with Silas. Barnabas took John, Mark and went. We don't know what happened. We don't know if they ever got back together after that. What we do know is that later on, we find Paul referring to John, Mark in two of his epistles in Colossians. And I also think in Timothy later on, he says, you know, bring John, Mark because he's useful to me in the ministry. So maybe later on, you know, John Mark came up and, 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 and was useful in the ministry later on. But, but the point here is this. The reason for breakdown over there, which I think must have had a very bad impact on that local church in Antioch. It's not written out there for us, but we can imagine how that local church may have felt when two of the leaders had to split and go their separate ways. Um, but it was because of their stubbornness. Neither one wanted to yield. Neither one wanted to. And it cost them to go separate ways. So the cure for stubbornness there means we must learn to yield. Understand when you yield, you're not losing ground. You may lose out on a point, but you're gaining ground for the body of Christ. Amen? So learning to yield, it's okay, it's fine, doesn't matter. I will yield. I'll be willing to change my perception of this thing. Because in the end, unity is what we are working towards. We must maintain unity. The last thing I want to talk about here very quickly is cliques and factions. There's a Corinthian church. You know, in the Corinthian church, the, the history of the Corinthian church is pretty interesting because uh, you read about this in Acts 18, 19 on. Uh, Paul and uh, Aquila and Priscilla were the ones who came in and started the church in Corinth. Uh, they raised up that church. Paul left that Corinthian church with Aquila and Priscilla and he continued on his missionary journey. About that time, God brought in another man named Apollos. Now, Apollos was, a, was, was up to date only till the baptism of John the Baptist. That's all he knew, and he was, that's all he was preaching, but he was well-versed in Old Testament scripture. So Aquila and Priscilla teach Apollos about everything that happened since John the Baptist update him, and Apollos becomes a very important part of the church in, in Corinth. So now what has happened as time has progressed people have begun to identify either with Paul or with Apollos. And the news comes back to Paul saying, Paul, back in that church in Corinth, there are some who say, I am Paulite or I'm an Apollite or I don't know what to say. <laughs> Whatever it was. Now, I'm this kind of a believer and I'm that kind of a believer. And Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, verse 9 and 10. He says, you know, I've heard that there is divisions among you because some of you say, I am of Apollos, and some of you say, I am of Paul. So I want to ask you a question. Did Paul die for you? Was Apollos crucified for you? So I kind of gives them a slap in the face. <laughs> and he's saying, you guys, you're missing the whole thing. Your identity must not be in an individual minister or ministry who ministered to you. And he continues in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. He says, you know, you are babies. Because there is strife and division among you, you are still carnal. Because he says, you know, in the kingdom of God, God uses somebody to water, somebody else, somebody to sow, somebody to water, and somebody else to get the harvest. 
That's how the kingdom of God works. But it is God who gives the increase. And all of us are one. He who waters and he who sows and he who waters, we are just one. Each one will get their own reward according to their own labor. So in the kingdom of God, your identity must not be in any man. So he goes on to the end of that uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 21. He says, let no one therefore boast in men. In other words, as a believer, your identity is not in your pastor. You can say an amen. Your identity is not in your local church. I go to APC. So what? It could be KPC. Who cares? Your identity is in Jesus Christ. That's it. But the moment believers begin to find out that, you know, I belong to this particular camp called, you know, the prophetic. I belong to this particular camp called the apostolic. Or I belong to this particular camp called, you know, the third wave church. Or you, I mean, you, today you look around Christendom and you can't find all kinds of movements and all kinds of everything. And the problem with the church is each one is deciding to find their identity in a particular movement, in a particular leader, in a particular denomination, in a particular style of ministry, in a particular methodology. And that's what's dividing the body of Christ. We are elevating a person. We are elevating a personality. We are elevating a style of ministry. We are elevating a particular movement above the Lordship of Jesus. And Paul says so clearly in 1 Corinthians 3.21 that no one glory in man. Don't glory. So your identity must never be in a particular movement. Your identity must never be in a particular man. It must not be in a particular kind of message. Your identity must always remain in Jesus Christ. Amen. Because when we form our identity around a certain individual or a certain message or a certain style of ministry, whatever, we end up Forming cliques, forming factions, uh, forming all kinds, of, all kinds of things which end up dividing the body of Christ. Amen? You know, and, and, and this is a trend that we're seeing all around the world. Uh, and, and we as a church must be careful about it because we are also one of those churches that are going out to planting more churches. So we as a church, we're going to many cities. I'm looking at all the cities across India and saying, you know, one day we're going to raise up churches like all cities across India. In our towns and our villages are going to raise up churches. So we are planting APC churches. APC. It's called APC Mangalore. APC, you know, Nagpur. APC, all that. But we must be very careful. That while for practical reasons we call them APC so that we can identify, we have accountability and so on. We must never magnify the movement above the Lord Jesus Christ. We must never magnify our form, our way, or our style, our method above the simplicity of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the moment we are here, we begin to promote APC. We are actually destroying the body of Christ. And I look around Christendom, and that's exactly what's happening. We have different movements. Thank God for movements and what they have brought. But when I see people coming in, uh, bringing their brand of Christianity, they are more committed to their brand of Christianity than to the Lord Jesus Christ. They will die for that, but they may not die for Jesus. When I see such things, it hurts me. Because the body of Christ is being divided. They are well-intentioned people, but they are actually dividing the body of Christ. They, have sincere, they are sincere people. They are good-hearted people. But they are committed to their brand of Christianity, not to the cross. 
mean, I've seen that happen over and over again. We have lots of people come and visit us. And then I take them aside. I sit down. They say, you know, we want to promote this. I say, okay. But here are the things. I want local leaders to be responsible. Oh, we can't do that. They want to promote their name, their brand. And that's why as I see this happening, I'm very concerned. We must stop identifying ourselves with a particular man, with a particular leader, with a particular brand, with a particular style. Let's stay committed to the cross of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself. Amen? And we as a church, because we are also doing the same thing, because we are also moving into cities and towns across our nation and planting churches, we must be very careful. We are not here to promote APC. We are not here to promote our style of Christianity. We are here only to promote and exalt the name of Jesus. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and